Hey everybody, this is a special edition version of the Running Rogue podcast. Steve and Chris are coming at you this time from New York, New York, in the Big Apple, here to cover the New York City Marathon, and we couldn't be more excited to be here doing our preview show, just coming straight from the U.S. Elite Athlete Press Conferences at the Media Center. This is our first time, Steve, to have media credentials for the podcast to be able to sit in on at least the American elites talking about their race and their preparation. You got to sit in on the men and the women and Chelaine's special press conference. And then I was there for both the women and Chelaine's press conference. So we've got a lot of good intel to share here on our preview show. Yeah. Now we just got to figure out a way to get into the, uh, into the one with the, with all the elites, not just the American elites, right. so that we can get even more details. Well, if we'd come early, they, they would have let, let us that in. Was right. a, that was a day before we got here. So next time we'll plan next accordingly. Time. But we've got, before we jump in to our preview show, wanted to cover some logistics. First on where Steve and I are going to be in New York, if you want to come say hello and check out some of our coverage. First of all, Tomorrow, which is Saturday before the race, we're going to be at the Expo from 9 a.m. to noon at the Jackrabbit booth, Jackrabbit retail booth at the Expo. If you want to stop by between 9 and noon and say hi, we're going to have a little bit of an Ask the Experts table giving advice to potential marathoners on how to think about pacing, course strategy, nutrition, etc. to the extent that people have those questions of course, advice number one for ours would have been, you should have figured this out already, <laughs> but we're going to do our best to help folks. And if you want to come say hi, we'd love to see you at the expo tomorrow, nine to noon. Then after that, we're going to head over to the New York Running Company. We're going to be there from two to five with a table also providing last minute advice for marathoners and for any marathoner. So you can check us out. That'll be at the Columbus Circle New York Running Company location there right on the southwest corner of Central Park at the Time Warner Center. So come say hi to us there from 2 to 5 if you'd like. And then on race morning, we're going to be doing our live call, as we mentioned on our last episode on our preview app or on a, a race strategy co- episode. We're going to be doing our live call just like we did on Boston. You're going to be able to find that online at our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash rogue running. We're going to be starting our coverage at 9 a.m. Eastern. The women's race goes off at 9.20 Eastern. And, of course, if you'd like to come see us do that, we're going to be at the Upper West Side Jackrabbit location, which is a running store that we're partnering with. We're going to be in the UFOS Recovery Center on West 72nd Street at that Jackrabbit location. Shout out to UFOS again for helping us out like they always do. Yes, UFOS was there with us in Boston. They're going to be there with us calling the New York race. So if you're in town, come hang out. And or if you're finishing your race, you can pop out of the park pretty close to there and waddle over to say hi and talk about how you did. But we'll be we'll be giving all of our live commentary on the race there. So you can check it out either in person at the Jackrabbit on the west side or check us out at Facebook forward slash rogue running we're super excited to be bringing that coverage again to you so that's a little bit about our logistics come say hi if you have a chance and then let's quickly cover the race logistics so you can check out everything new york marathon on sunday morning first of all 
The race, as I mentioned, starts officially at 9.20 a.m. with the women's start. Coverage starts nationally on ESPN at 9 a.m. Eastern and will continue throughout the morning. It'll also that'll be on ESPN2. It'll also be on the local ABC affiliate if you're in New York. So the women's race goes off at 9.20, the men's race at 9.50 with Wave 1, and then we've got subsequent waves after that. I believe Wave 2 is off at 9, sorry, 10.15 for Wave 2, 10.40 for Wave 3, and then 11 a.m. for Wave 4. So check it out. If you're not listening to us, go listen and watch on ESPN2 or on the local ABC affiliate to see to see to see it all go down so that's all your watching information now we're going to jump into our race preview discussion with our predictions as we always make them and so we're going to start on the men's side we think we think there's some more compelling discussions to be had on the women's side so we're going to save the best for last on the men's side not that (coughs) there's not compelling discussions to have on the men's side we've got a lot but still it's uh, the one thing our listeners need to be prepared for is because we've actually come to the media events here, um, we have a lot more information than we normally do. So be wary. This could be a long one. <laughs> <laughs> this could be. <laughs> we warn you. <laughs> we've got some good stuff. There's some good inside intel, which I think definitely may have affected our predictions. On the men's side, the storyline, Steve, is primarily about the international field. There's certainly things we'll talk about on the American men's side, but we believe your favorites are all in that East African camp. We've got, of course, the defending champion, Jeffrey Kamroor, who held off held off Kipsang last year as they got into Central Park to score his first major marathon victory. And then you've got... Tamarat Tola, who is a Dubai winner, the Ethiopian athlete who's run 204 a couple of times, also finished second in the World Championships in 2017. So he has the resume to perform well at the top. And then you've got a relative newcomer to the marathon, Shura Katata, who's an Ethiopian athlete who's run really fast for the half marathon, who has also run 204, who we believe can compete for the win here. And in some camps, they're talking about Katata as a potential favorite over Kamroor, which is might, shocking. Which is shocking. Might take the pressure a little bit off of our, our friend Kamroor, who we know is a fierce racer. So those are your three primary favorites on the men's side. We've also got to mention Lalisa DeSisa, who's been a Boston Marathon champion and who participated in the Breaking 2 project and was handily dispatched by Kipchoge there. You've also got Daniel Wanjuru who has a 205 PR and has the pedigree to potentially make some noise, but is going to be but it's been a little bit since we've seen the finest from him. Well, he won 2017's London Marathon and he I did, do think yeah. that that's something we have to take into consideration, but the level of I think he's. It's crazy to think that we would say that the guy who won the 2017 London Marathon is a dark horse or someone who's who's not quite at that level. Um, you know, also another guy, Chris, who 
is also an interesting play here just so that we can get the, what, these guys out of the way because we're probably not going to talk much about them later on, is Alphonse Simbu, who's a Tanzanian, who was third at the World Championships, who's also fifth at Rio in the marathon, and he's been fifth at the London Marathon. And here's a guy who we don't even really aren't even talking about because he, because he lives in Tanzania and doesn't feel the pressures, it seems like he's not on the starting line as much as other people are. But he's another guy in a race like this who... You know, while he hasn't had this most sizzling fast time, he's run, he's stepped up and been on podiums and been in the mix at the best races in the world that are slower and more tactical. So he's somebody we kind of got to at least think about. But again, it still comes down to really, in my mind, Chris, these three top guys who, yes, Wanjuru could very well be in the play. Simbu could be in play. Decisa could be in play. But really, it's these top three guys, Chris. So let's break them down. And then we'll make our predictions, and then we'll talk about the Americans in the field, who I think collectively we agree the American men don't have a chance necessarily to be on the podium, although you might have potential for some top fives among among the Americans. So we will get to them, but we'll start with Kamroor. I mean, he's had quite a last 18 months or so. Started on, on quite the streak by winning, first of all, the World Cross. So he showed his dimension there competing in what we we've deemed the greatest foot race on the planet so he wins world cross he then comes back later in the year wins new york as we just talked about holding off former world record holder wilson kipsang <laughs> and then he wins the iwf world half marathon championships in spain earlier this year in one hour flat on a windy day there in when he Spain. exploded the last 5k what and was it i forget that last 5k absolutely dropped the bomb <laughs> on the rest Ran of the like field like 13 13 10 or 13 15 for his crazy. final 5k it was slightly downhill <laughs> yeah. with the wind at his back but still he just completely <laughs> dropped a bomb and of course we also know he's training with the greatest all of all time marathoner wilson uh, sorry kipchoge elliot kipchoge of course, so we know he's got the Kipchoge. Kip, the Kipchoge is whispering in his ear all <laughs> that he's learned, and Patrick Sang is his coach, who coaches Kipchoge as well. Yeah, when Kamor came across the finish line last year at this race, the first person that hugged him was Ilya Kipchoge. That's right. They're tight. So we have a guy who's a proven winner at all levels, has shown that he can hang on in paced situations, in race situations. Over hill and dale in the cross country courses, over challenging New York course like they have here, and he's just a winner, right? So, does this does this in your mind put him as the prohibitive favorite? Is is it worth even giving or considering anybody else for that status? I mean, I I just don't see how you can give Katata the discussion of being favorite when you have I would say inarguably the current best runner over all surfaces and all distances runner in the world right now I mean I think Mo Farah would argue that he if he dropped back down that he might but he's not doing that much we don't see him race he's not running at the world champs he's not running at world cross country championships he's not running at world champs in the half so now it was 2016 when Mo was focused on running the 10, so we do have to give him some credit there. But, I mean, Joffrey Kamwar is, in my opinion, the best runner in this field. 
And he's also the best marathoner in this field. And so I would say for that reason, he must be considered the favorite. Until these other athletes step up and get it done, um, I just don't think that we can consider them the favorites, Chris. Also, Kamor... also the defending champion. He's also the defending champion, which is another really, really important thing. But Chris, you and I love to talk about the intangibles on this podcast because we find them so much more intriguing than the what you see on the lists. You know, we're, we're this podcast, we try to bring to you more than just what their times are and what their places are. It's a little bit more behind the scenes, although we are not there behind the scenes. Hopefully, maybe someday we will be. But for now, we're just trying to pry apart what's going on. And you and I both know that what's going on in the mind of Joffrey Kamroor is something special. He is not... He is not your average runner. He's as close as we're going to get to Ilya Kipchoge, who's not Ilya Kipchoge. He definitely brings his own his, his own um, flair to the races. Um, you know, one of the things I read, you know, because we don't get all this other inside detail, we got the media guide this time, Chris. And in the media guide, it talks about Kamar wanted to be a lawyer and that his plans were to be a lawyer in his life. And so, you know, this is not a guy who basically looked around and said, hey, I want to make the most money in the world I can. It's just somebody who, and I'm just going to be a distance runner. This is somebody who's more, a little bit more varied and has more interests. And so I just think Kamwar is probably the best thinker on the course and is also going to be the best strategic on the course. He knows how to run everything, and he is the guy who won it this this last year against, yes, somebody who we thought was washed up and kept saying, but Kip Sang has a way of showing up and being at critical races and critical junctures at critical times. And for Kamwar, it didn't really matter how much he beat him by. He just needed to beat him. And that's kind of the way Kamwar is. It's about winning the race. It's not about the time that he runs. Plus, he trains with Kipchoge. That's what I'm saying. The he, cleans toilet. he cleans and, toilets with Kipchoge. And, <laughs> and he was asked in the press conferences what he thinks about Kipchoge's world record and if someday that could be on the table for him. And he said... Why not? Mm-hmm. So he's a guy who's also confident, and he's following the ways of Sang and Kipchoge. And if you're seeing Kipchoge run to a one, then why wouldn't you believe you can do that too? That's exactly if right. You're hanging he's with him in workouts. It seems pretty obvious that he thinks that he can. He's not. He's also being respectful enough of Kipchoge being the current greatest of all time that he's going to defer to that record since it just happened. Is as he's wise to do, but it does show, Hey, I believe. And, and, and that's not something you're getting. That's not a, that's not a wrinkle that the other athletes we're going to be talking about have. Yeah. So I tend to agree. And I think any noise from others that there might be other favorites and I'm looking at you. Let's com <laughs> is, is bullshit. Kamar is your favorite. And, until someone knocks him off the top of that podium, I think he's the one to beat. Now, let's go to the the athlete that they're mentioning as a potential person who could be considered a favorite, which is Shura Kitada from Ethiopia. He, he got second in London behind Kipchoge on a hot day there. He's also won the Frankfurt Marathon, the Rome Marathon, the Istanbul Marathon, in a progression from a 214 marathoner down to a 204 marathoner at London on a warm day. And while he got beat by Kipchoge there, he was the only one that could be within smelling distance of of the great one. And so there are some that would look at him and say, this guy has a chance. 
this guy has a chance. I mean, he ran with Kipchoge for 37K in London on a warm day. So what does that mean for what he can do here? And so I think it puts him in the conversation. But still, to me, when you have a win at Frankfurt or win at Rome, while those are top-notch marathoners, marathons, they're not world majors. They're not New York. They're not Boston. They're not London. And so winning here is still a different equation, especially when it, when you have to talk about a race that's pure strategy versus a paced race like you have at those other marathons. I think wasn't it that Katata ran um, the Philly half recently and he ran he won it in a and not a smoking fast time, but like one oh one, but he won but he won by four minutes or something ridiculous yeah. like that. Right. And I I get that that is something that should raise eyebrows and we should pay attention to him. But Chris, I don't think Katata is even the second best pedigreed runner in this race. I, I, I don't see how you can put I don't see how we're doing it because others have done it and we're trying to make an argument. But I think Tola is Yep. Is, is somebody we should be talking about more in this position of, and if you think about it then and you say, okay, Tola versus Comor, well, you, you just can't. You just, that, so I think this is a fabrication <laughs> right. for some reason. Somebody's drumming up interest. And, and, you know, we might be, and I'm happy to be proven wrong if on the given day that Katata goes out there and runs, you know, really fast and beats Comor, then, then, we'll, then we'll ascend him to that role of being there. But you don't earn things because you did something and beat people by four minutes in some race. You, you get yourself in a position by winning the races that matter and getting second to the greatest of all time. It's like, okay, I had the second best shooting percentage of tooth in 1987 against, you know, and, and the MVP was Michael Jordan. Well, I don't really care. Mike, we're only going to talk about Michael Jordan until you win something. We don't fucking care. Like <laughs> I don't care one lick about who Katata is until he's actually on the winner's in the winner's circle and on in, in that position. That doesn't mean I'm not saying that that result of second place at, at London in a 204.50, which is super fast on that course, on a hot day, um, I'm not saying it's nothing. I'm just saying it's not everything. Well, and it's also, it's not a, it's not a race where there were no pacers. It's not a race with the terrain and the up and down that you have in New York. So Kamara has proven himself in those conditions. Katata has not. He's got new things to deal with in this race, and he's only 22 years old, so he's the young, up-and-coming potential competitor to Kamroor. But he's, as you said, he's still unproven, and until he proves himself by doing something amazing tomorrow, I agree with you. I'm also a skeptic as to what he can do. Now, I agree with you also that Tola, and as we said... There's sort of three guys that seem to stick out as your as your top three. And Tola, in my opinion, as you said, is sort of the second the second on the list but behind Cumroar. His PRs are impressive. Now, granted, they he's run he's run two of four from Dubai, which I've crapped on a little bit <laughs> recently, but learned my my lesson a little bit from the results we had in Chicago. But he's finished second at the world champs last year in 2017. So he's done it. He's competed against the great, against the great Joffrey Karui who shot the bed at Chicago, but otherwise with right. somebody we were talking about pops, even being competitive with Kipchoge. He's competed in a strategic race and come out second to one of, we think the best marathoners in the world in Karui. 
He's also got the pedigree on the track, finishing you know with a bronze at Rio at the ten thousand. So this is a guy who who has all of the wheels to put something together. Now, will those fast times at Dubai compare you know paired with his ability to race a more strategic race at World Champs last year in London? Will that translate to an ability to show up here in New York and challenge Camaroar or potentially make it, you know, to that second spot on the podium here. I, I don't know. There's still question marks for, for me with him. I, I, I'm with you 150%. I just think he's another, I mean, it, it listen, it, it takes a lot to get it right on a given day in a marathon, especially at New York City. This race is known for the for breaking hearts and breaking souls and having people unexpectedly win races. It's known for tight, close finishes, races that come down to the very end. And um, and so in all those ways, it's like I, that's why I like to put Tola in front of Katata, but it still tells me that Jeffrey Conmore in those kinds of races – in my opinion, is going to come out on top because he's done it so many times in so many different ways. Now, Tola at the Olympic Games in the 10,000, he was third, um, and he he really did, you know, he that's the one last race that Camor ran that we were disappointed in because I remember picking Camor right. um, as a potential win or top three for sure, um, you know, and it, it you know, that but, but since then, Camor has been on fire and has... Um, not lost and has come at it in a way that just signals to me that he's going to be able to play this race intelligently, whether, you know, the one question I have, Chris, is what happens if this race goes fast? What if it goes out fast? But that's like asking, I don't know, it's it's not typical at this event. It doesn't happen at New York where people go out fast and take the pace. The women's race not, that has happened I mean, more it'll often, happen on the women's side, maybe, but not on but the not men's the side men's. typically. So, I just think all these different things just put it play this in the hands of Kamwar, and I don't know who else really has a shot. But that's why we run these races, Chris. That's why we run them. So, if we were going to give somebody else a shot for a podium here, of those other names we already mentioned, who who would be at the top of your list? Uh, Wenjiru, Wenjiru, Daniel Wenjiru. I mean, by by far his, you know, it, when you've won a when you won a marathon major, it just puts you in a spot. You know, he got he he won London in in a two hundred five forty eight in two thousand seventeen. Um, Kipchoge won it the next year. Now he did have a little bit of a down race at uh, the World Championships where he was eighth at the World Championships in the marathon. Um, and so you know, I think. To me, he's the other guy who has known pedigree because he's won a major, a marathon major, and he's won it at a fast race in one of the most important places. Now, he didn't compete very well in a race that was more strategic at, at World Champs, but there could be a variety of reasons for that. One in particular is it's hard to go back from April and come back in August, although Karui did it, and he's the one who, who basically won Boston and then came back and won um, World Championships. But Karui in 2017 was in Fuego, um, and so it, 
you know, it's not that I I sort of call that as a call that out on Wanjiru and say, oh, you're slacker. He's still got eighth in that race. Um, and so I think Wanjiru really would be my next pick. Um, Alphonse uh, Simbu is just not there yet. I need to see a little bit more result from him to give him another, another a wrinkle there. Um, but anyway, those, those are the guys that I would be looking at. But but the next person I would put on the podium at that point in time, it would definitely be Wanjiru because of his World Marathon major win at London in yeah. 17. And you know, he's still only 26 years old. Right. You know, I mean, what's crazy about all of these athletes we're talking about, the oldest one that we mentioned is Tola, who's 27. So these are young guys who've turned to the marathon early and who are having success as a result. And that's when we also kind of want to give the side glance to our American track athletes on the men's side and tell them to move on up. The marathon's where it's at. Okay, before we talk predictions of those athletes that we've mentioned and then we'll talk about the Americans. I see this race playing out really only one way for the men. It seems like we've seen this script before and there's nobody in this field that I think will take the initiative to make it play out differently. But the men's race is going to go out slowly, relatively. At some point it'll wind up to something respectable, but we won't see any haymakers till after the Queensboro Bridge, where maybe on First Avenue you'll get some some testing of the waters, where maybe you'll see some surges there, which is a common place, especially in the men's field, for, for people to start testing the legs of others around them. And then from there it'll be a, somebody will throw a bomb, you know, in the middle of the race and, and it'll get broken open probably sometime around 30K and it'll be a, a race of attrition to Central Park. Is there another scenario, Steve, or I mean, or you think that's how it's going to play out? No, we don't have a Japan. We don't have we don't have a Hayuki. A, a Hayuki in this race. It's not going to happen. I just don't see the. You know, the one thing that you could see is an American like an Abdi Abdulrahman who has a who has the tendency on occasion to do rather crazy things. Um, so there might be somebody like that, and maybe maybe one of these other Kenyans or Ethiopians we haven't talked about who might be in there. But most of those guys, those Ethiopians and Kenyans, are told to do tasks, and they are definitely put in a very tough position if they go crazy because their their countrymen will make them feel the pain for that in future races or in other circumstances. But Abdi is a guy who I could see doing something silly. But what's Abdi good for? I mean, on this course. I mean, he's probably not even good for much faster than 104, 103 through the half if he went all out. So I don't see that happening. And I just don't, so I don't see anybody in there that's going to make a move like what we're going to talk about the potential of what Mary Katani could possibly do on the women's side. This is not going to happen on the men's side. I just don't see anybody doing it. Um, the one person that could potentially do it, not because he's, and he's not proven any, not shown any reason why I should say this, except. Alphonse Simbu from Tanzania, he trains all by himself. He work, he does most of his work by himself. He doesn't have training partners who are... So he's another guy who could be... Who says, oh, maybe I can do something by going off the front. But that's just that's just me looking at it and running numbers and playing games in my head. That's yeah. not... that The chance of that is like .0001 of a chance, right? It's so not, It's not real. It's not real, right? It's just, oh, let's, let's talk about some non-real scenario that could potentially play out. No. 
This you're going to see a picture of these guys together at the half marathon. Then you're going to see guys start throwing haymakers and shaking going on. And then you're going to see one of the things that we've seen recently in the last couple of races, Chris. You and I thought that there was, you know, in the past the Ethiopians have had a bit of a of a game playing as a team. That seems to have gone out the window. There seems to be now real real angry factions within Ethiopia that are not allowing these guys to run together or work together. Um, Kenyans, they will work together, but only in a selfish way, only to benefit themselves. So you don't really have team tactics coming into play, I don't think. It's every man for himself, and that means they'll just sit around, and they'll probably sit around to 30K. You know, I think they'll do th- some throwing around at 13.1, um, you know, which is 21K, and they think about 30K, 18, 18 and a half miles into the race, you're going to start seeing real gaming going on and real real racing going on um but i expect this race chris to have as they go into central park to have two to three to have three guys together and as they approach the finish line to probably have two guys together and i think it's going to be a kick and i think it's going to be uh and if it's not that way then camor is in as good a shape as as people are saying that he is um paul chalimo thinks camor is in the best shape of his life but he's basing that off of seeing him run by him at Central Park and checking out his <laughs> facial features and how right. skinny he looks, um, which I think is a bit dubious. Uh, but anyway, I, I think, you know, the only guy that's going to make this any different of a game than that is Cam Moore himself because he feels so good and that he... and and But, but Chris, that's not his game. You know, no. So, so no. he's going to wait because he can outkick everybody. Because he can wait. He can wait for... He can it outkick everybody. It would be silly everybody. not to wait. Right. So then what are your predictions for the podium on this one? So I'm going with Cam Moore for the win. And uh, I'm not really convinced in either Katata or or Tola. Both of them make me a little nerve. I'm going to pick one of them for the podium, but I'm actually going to go out on a limb and, and pick a crazy pick. It's not that crazy. I'm going to pick D- Wanjuru for second because I think that there's going to be something. I think these Ethiopians are going to go a little bit crazy and they're going to try to make plays and I don't think it's going to work. And I'm not buying Katata being a real player yet. Even though he was second to Kipchoge, I just don't know that that I'm going to call him in that position. So I'm going to pick Wanjuru and for third, and I'm going to go Tola. I mean Wanjuru for second, and I'm going to go Tola for third. Now, I could run a different three different scenarios where those results get turned upside down, but I got to pick something. I really want to pick Simbu in here because I just think his story is going to be interesting, and he could be a wild card in that game. But I'm not believing in Katata yet, and he's gonna have to prove it to me. It'll be a it'll be a Karui game for me, Chris, with him. Until he proves it, I'm not paying attention to him. And so I'm going when I'm going Kamwar, Winjuru, and then Tola for third. I just don't see how with the way the Ethiopians are running right now that you can put push them off of this off of this uh, off the podium altogether. And I got Simbu in there. I'm not gonna call him fourth. I'm just gonna call him as my wild card a guy who 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 who's going to be in the play, somewhere in play there. So how do you call it, Chris? So it's tough. I agree with you on Cumbroar for the win, although it is hard to repeat in New York. Very we know, hard. We know that's true. Mary Katani has done it. She's won three in a row through 2015, 2016. Sorry, 2014, 2015, 2016. So it's been done recently by a Kenyan athlete on the other side. But as I break this field down, no one has the ability to win on a course like this like he does. So I've got to agree with you there. I'm roar for the win. And then I'm going to go Katata for second because why not? 
you know, I think getting second to Kipchoge, the greatest of all time in London, is a big feather in his cap, which will give him the confidence to to play well here. And we know he can run fast, so if it's a sit-and-kick sort of race over the last 10K to, you know, to 13K, then I think he has the tools to put it together and, and compete at the end. And then I'm going to go with Tola for third because of his demonstrated ability to race well in a championship race, but I'm just not convinced he has the wheels that Katata and Kamura have at the end of the race. So Well, he has better wheels than both of them, but probably not at the end, at the end of a 26.2 mile. Yeah, at the end of the race is what I mean, yeah. of course. <laughs> so anyway, those are my picks. If I had a wild card to pick, it would be to be Simbu as well. I think, you know, he's a guy who I could see getting second. Yeah, potentially I in this race and he's a Tanzanian athlete. And so he's trying to become the first Tanzanian since to, Ikanga, to, since Juma Ikanga yeah, to to do well at this race. So he's my wild card if I have one, but I'm going Kamroar Katata, Tola, one, two, three. Cool. We got uh we've we got see. points. We got points we've to got play some here. Differences, yeah. So that's good. Now let's turn it to the American men's side. A lot of interesting stories here that we've got to get to. But first, before we break down the personalities to look for there, if there was a an American man that would make the podium as a wild wild card, maybe wild wild card, who would that pick be for you? Goodness gracious. Like if, if there was a person, a guy who has a shot. So we're doing this before we break it down. Yes. So um, uh, I guess, you know, you and I had this conversation offline as we were walking from Central Park all the way over to our hotel. Um, and so I'm going to surprise you because I'm going to put somebody out of the somebody different than I said as we were walking along the way. Um so the guy I would pick to be on the podium is what your question is, right? Yeah. If so a I would guy pick Jared Ward as the guy I would pick to put on the podium. And the only reason I pick him is because he looks like he's fit. He sounds like he's fit. He seems like he really wants it. And he's proven he was fifth at the, I mean, what, sixth or seventh at the Olympic Games. He knows how to find himself in the right place if something crazy happens. He's the most talented marathoner on the American side in the field, in my opinion. Um, and so... I'm probably if you you could ask that question in a different way, like who would be the top American in this race, and I won't pick him, <laughs> but right. I will pick him. I would pick him as the only American I think that could get on the podium in this race. What do you say to that question? That well, your same question. I mean, so interestingly, I have a similar answer in that I would not pick this person to be the top American either. Mm -hmm. But if there's going to be a guy on the podium, I think it's Bernard Lagat. Well, there's a there's there I mean, is that to me he's the wild card of all wild cards. I well, mean, I, uh, we don't know if his quality based, relatively low mileage pedigree will allow him to compete over twenty six point two. But if there's a guy who has a nose for a podium, it's him, and so he would be my wild wild card on that on that front. I'm and I'm just not sure that anybody else really has a shot but that's a wild wild card <laughs> <laughs> right but wouldn't you agree like, i mean it no i, it I wouldn't won't surprise you it he wouldn't will, surprise you it, 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 it would absolutely completely surprise me <laughs> but i also got to let i have 15 minutes of video uh, 15 yeah. minutes of audio on bernard lagat and basically this dude didn't even know 
that he had to take water or take fuel. And he only started working on taking water and taking fuel after he ran in Valencia and ran the half mar- ran a half marathon in Valencia. And he's like, oh, what? There's even a thing as taking water? And he's like, I still can't get fuel down. I still can't get water down. I'm like... It's a really wild, wild card, in my opinion. And but I get what you're saying, and and I think we'll talk a lot more about this topic. Or do you want to just go now? Do we want well, to just talk let's about? It. Let's go ahead and we'll start with Legat okay. because we might as well. Bernard, old man Legat, forty three years old. Because it sounds based on all his, those things. Making like, on his marathon debut, his <laughs> stated goal is to beat Meb's a Masters American record that he set at the trials. In 2016, running 212, and yeah. so he was talking about that in his press conference. I wasn't yeah, that's there, his but, but you got to see it, yeah. and I got to listen to a little bit of the tape he made. Mm-hmm. You know, and his comment was basically, "I'm gonna run within myself to try to get that time." So, let me start with that question. Then, do you think he can get the Masters American record? I think Bernard Lagat is going to blow out the back, and I don't think that there's any <laughs> chance. Of, I think Bernard Lagat will find if the finish line. He did a 24-mile training run, and he said it went well. Um, he did it. It said actually 25. He said 24 and one, which was 24 miles hard for him, and then a one-mile cooldown. So he'll get to the finish line, and I don't think that Bernard Lagat will drop out of this race. I'll be very surprised if he does. I think he will want to finish because I think. It's going to mean something to him, this first marathon, and I think he'll do it for his fans. He has, such, he has such a strong feeling and affinity for his fans. I think in a lot of ways he's so similar to Meb. I think he will find the finish line. I think he'll make a joke of it, though. I mean, I think I think he'll – because I just don't think he's done the work, Chris. I think there's a lack of respect here. We, have, we were surprised that he could move up as far as he did. We moved up and ran the 10 smoked everybody because the 10 is so easy sit around and kick it's a 5k dream if you can stay with him long enough you sit around and kick he, he was able to do that he ran the half he ran 102 and change chris that's super fast for a half but you and i both know if you can run a 10k you can run a fast half but the other thing we know that we've proven over and over <laughs> and over again just because you can run a fast half does not mean you can run a fast marathon and no i do not predict that bernard lagat will run will get the record but i will tell you this while I say that, that's because I'm, you're asking me as a betting man or asking me as my, my reputation to make a prediction. But I will not be surprised if he gets the record. And again, I would be surprised if he was on the podium, Chris, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was a surprise top American because everybody else blew up and he just stayed the course and did what he did because of the way that Bernard... I asked Bernard Lagat a question. I asked him, what do you do for mental training? I said, do you work on mental <laughs> training? He said, yes. Um, I asked the other people around me that I use as, as, my, as my heroes. He used uh, Juan Luis Barrios, who he trains with on a consistent basis. He's another, uh, a basically a 210 marathoner who's from Mexico, who's in this race, who he trains with consistently. He talked to Ilya Kipchoge. He talked to, um, who are some of the other athletes he said that he talked to? Uh, anyway, he, he just got advice from other marathoners. And he's, that's basically what he said his mental training was. Because Bernard Lagat, as we've talked about before in our mental training episodes, doesn't need any mental training. <laughs> right. So to him, it was a it was an interesting question because he's like, oh, yeah, let me tell you all the ways that I got insights from people. Um, you know, one thing he said, it was so funny. Here, this is how much of a beginner at the marathon Lagat is and how little he knows. On the way to the airport, he asked someone, um, 
he he asked I forget who was who it was he was talking to. He uh, his wife said you should ask what happens when I get to the water stop, and my table is table ten, and Kemwar's table is table one. What do I do? And he asked Abdi that question because he Abdi and he trained together, and Abdi said to him because he's like I'm just going to take my water and run right. And he's like, hell no. By the time you get your water, Camwar's dropped his bottle and Tola's dropped his bottle and Katata's dropped their bottle and they're accelerating. You got to not take any water, hold on to it, cover the move, then take some water. Okay, he's like, wow, that blew my mind. <laughs> this is the information he got on the way to the airport. Now, again, I am not belittling in any way <laughs> Bernard Lagat. What I'm saying is Bernard Lagat has not brought sufficient focus to the marathon distance and I believe Bernard Lagat is a danger for the U.S. Olympic trials, not to make the team necessarily, but to make a scare to some people because I think this race he's going to learn a lot, and he's, it's obvious he's positioning himself to attempt to make another American uh, Olympic team, and to do it from the 15 all the way to the marathon would be absolutely, completely unprecedented. The only person that you can even have that kind of conversation about is not, is not a male, right? It's a... What's her name from um, Southwestern? Uh, Francie. Francie LaRue Smith. So there's nobody you can even talk to about that. So I think this is also sort of a fact-finding mission for him. He's, he's in that mindset of saying, let me show everybody I'm serious about this. If it goes well, great. If it doesn't go well, everybody will laugh at me, and then I've got the intel I need to take a big stab at this later on. I think he's, he's a trickster. He's a coyote. He knows how to play this <laughs> game right. This man is smart, but I don't think he's going to be able to do it at the New York City Marathon in 2018, Chris. And I guarantee he's getting paid to show up and, Damn and finish. Yes. And that's a big yes. thing as well. But it was interesting talking or listening to your recording of him talking about how basically he was going to try to stay comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, this guy has no idea what pain is coming his way. Well, I, he did. For some point he said, I'm just going to try to stay comfortable. Well, I know it's going to hurt. Because then he goes, well, I know it's going to hurt. But then he then he went, then he backpedaled on it again. And I'm like, oh, dude, you have no fucking idea. Like, yeah. you have no idea. He has no idea. And I agree with you. It's not likely that he's going to have a good day. I do agree he'll finish. I think it's going to be a little bit ugly. I'm super happy to be proven wrong, though, Bernard. But he's a guy it. if I mean that's part of where I, I don't really understand his strategy. He talked about how he was gonna stay within himself, run his pace, try to get a two twelve. But to me the best strategy for the guy is to go with the field, no matter what happens, to get the pack around him to feed off the energy of his competitors and I think if he gets stuck in no man's land in whatever fashion, I think that's gonna be a difficult spot for him. So we'll see how it plays out. But I also have this feeling that once he gets into the adrenaline of the moment, his plan to just Run 212 pace may go out the window, which might be dangerous for him, but it might not. You never know. That's why I say, like, he's the ultimate wild card. And as a guy who's won medals, you can't count him out. The only other piece of intelligence we have about this is that he trains so much with Juan Luis Barrios, who's going to be able to run a 212 and is capable of running a 212 here. We don't know what conversations they've had. We don't know if. Barrios is going to go out in 205 because Lagat can run 205 through the half and then hold on and run 212 probably, right? So he's run 102. So that's the thing. He's done some things that we have to respect. So I do think there's that play where he maybe runs with Juan Luis for a while and then backs off and lets himself suffer late. Um, and so it could be intri intriguing to see how he plays that and how that goes through. But yeah, Chris, um, really interesting storyline. Um, I'll be surprised if we're discussing it beyond a few general mentions in our post-race discussions. 
So the other thing here that the American men really aren't getting credit for is the fact that even though we we boohoo a little bit the state of American male marathoning, this is a stacked deep who's who of American male marathoners. So this is a serious field. You know, Legat being one of them, but led by beyond that older now forty one Olympian Ab- Abdi Abdurrahman. But of course, then you've got Scott Fable and Scott Smith from NAZ Elite, who we've talked about before. Jared Ward, sixth at the Olympics in Rio, also former Olympian. You've got Ryan Vale, who's never quite put it together from a marathon standpoint, but we know has great potential at the distance if he can put it together. Tim Ritchie, U.S. champion in the marathon last year at CIM. And Chris Derrick, Bowerman Track Club, potential who we know has great potential at the marathon, who hasn't shown it really yet. Cooking mate with Shalane Flanagan, we found out today. They, yeah, they, yeah. they shared Training an apartment. Side by side, side by side with, with Shalane. So, and you didn't even talk about another one, Chatty. Shadrach Biwat finished third at Boston this year. <laughs> so <laughs> That was fourth, I mean, year befo- fourth year before. So we've got a legitimate field here for the American men. And you could spend, gosh, five minutes talking about each one of these guys and their stories because they're all interesting. None of them have really had the breakthrough that I think they're hoping for and expecting. But of the list that we just named, who do you think will actually be the top American? I don't. I it'll be with Scott, one of the Scots. It'll either be Scott Fable. It'll be either Scott Fable or Scott Smith. Um, these two guys are actually those of you who are interested. They're doing a little uh, a fun media game on. It's the it's a it's a fight to the finish. It's a battle of the Scots. That's a duel to the death, as they're they're talking about a little bit. Mostly, Fauble is talking about this because he's a little bit more of a, a comedian. Um, his straight man, Scott Smith, is a uh, who's got his like Western handlebar mustache, looking a little bit like Jared Ward, um, is a little more circumspect about this uh, battle to the end. But basically, these two guys have been training together as training partners. They do not. You can tell. Their table was this at the same spot. These guys have been training together. They've been thinking together. They've been working together. They've got different... They're going to have different ways of playing the race out, and they were quick to discuss how quickly they would jettison the other if they needed to, which, as you and I both know, Chris, in coaching, as we've coached many athletes who have wanted to run together, we know that's a real asset to both of them. So I'm not going to say which of those two. I'm just going to call it a Scott. One of the Scots is going to be it. And if I had to pick my Scott, I'm going to pick Scott Smith. If you're making me pick him, okay. I'd like to pick both. But if I have to pick one, I'll pick Scott Smith just because of his experience. And um, Both I, of them ran within 30 seconds of each other at Frankfurt at 212. Yes. And I just think that they're these are two guys who might run 212 again on this course, 211, 212. They could PR on this course. And if that happens... That you're in the you're you're in the top five. You're top seven. You know what I mean. That that's the way this race plays out. It's likely when Camor wins, he wins in a two hundred eight, two hundred seven, maybe two hundred. He could win in a two hundred nine, but it's probably more like a two hundred eight because I think this race is going to go fast at the end. And so yeah, you're not that. These guys can stay within ground. They can start picking people, picking some of these other Kenyans and Ethiopians off who who blow up, who who went for the win. And then they've got that sort of gone fishing, as you love to say, Chris, and they got that positive feedback loop working. But these are the two guys I'm most, I mean, and some of this has to do with 
you and I being complete and utter fanboys of Ben Rosario's uh, NAZ Elite team, and we're real apologists for what they're doing there and the way that they're they're getting great results. And I think we've been talking a lot about where are our American marathoners, and I think these two guys are potentially two that we could be talking about. And um, you know, maybe this is a play for me to say these are who I want to be a fan of, but. Um, uh, that's who I'm picking as being one of them, and I'm going to call Scott Smith, but it really I'm calling them both. What about you? I'm going Scott Fable because why not? We right. might as well be. And now you got him no, covered. Then we both got him covered. He has shown better form of late. Yes, although he has. They, they do say that Scott Smith, because he's older, 32 versus Scott Fable, who's 27. Smith tends to round into form a little bit later because he's had that aerobic base and development, whereas Fobble takes a longer build to kind of get him where met, where he's at. But they they competed head-to-head in a half recently, and Fobble dispatched the other Scott. So I'm going to go with Fobble. I think, and I think both of these guys, though, both Scots, as we were talking about on the way back from the media center, are potential athletes that could be on an Olympic team in 2020 because of what they're doing at NAZ Elite, and the confidence that Ben Rosario is bringing to his athletes and the work that they're doing together. I think if, if there are going to be some breakthroughs coming in American marathoning, it's from these two, the Scots. Now, beyond that, my wild card or my next pick would be Shadrach Biwat. I think given his, his ability to, to either be on the podium or sniff the podium in marathon majors, including Boston, and he's done you know, respectably at New York, He's a guy who, particularly if if shrapnel starts flying backwards, then he's a guy who can pick up the pieces and potentially get a fifth-place performance, potentially, and be top American. Beyond that, you know, I think you're right. Jared Ward could be a guy. Ryan Vale could be a guy. I don't think we're going to see much from Abdi. You know he's kissing babies at this point. It seems like collecting <laughs> collecting appearance fees. But he but he but he always likes to give I, his sponsors some benefits. So he could I mean be, it's it's weird not to give a Bowerman Track Club athlete. It is weird. But Derek due. has broke our hearts too what many did you, times. What did you hear anything from Chris Derek today? I, I didn't even. I went to his table. Um, when, and he was being interviewed. And those who want to listen to the interview, you can listen to it on Let's Run because I'm sure that they've got it up by now. But the motherfucker put me to sleep. <laughs> Like I was like, <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know if that was Weldon's questions or if it was um, more about about Chris Derrick. And I, Chris Derrick is a smart dude, right? This guy understands his sport, but he's not a rock star, and he's not bringing much to the game. And I just think the marathon is a really, really, really long time to be as he's a, he's a, he's not a dumb runner, Chris. You know, Chris Derrick is not a dumb runner. And it's a long, long way to be a smart guy. A <laughs> long, long way to be a smart guy. And, you know, Jared Ward's a smart guy, too. I mean, but, you know, he did his master's thesis on pacing in a marathon. So his <laughs> smartness is now in a position where he's like, okay. <laughs> and so he's probably dumbed himself down by knowing his number. No, or he uses those numbers in his benefit. But I, I'm waiting for Chris Derrick to figure it out. And maybe this is the race he does, Chris, because God knows Chris Derrick is is a guy who could we could be talking about because of what his talent base is. He is the fastest Ameri- he's a fast other than God, he's the fastest marathon fastest runner in the field on the American side. I mean the guy's super fast and 
I, you know, he's just, it's just, he's just to this point, he hasn't quite gotten it right. And what's going on there at the Bowerman that they, they've got the babes running like champs at the marathon distance, but the guys with similar ability, I mean, you wouldn't say Amy Craig is that much of a better runner comparatively on paper than Chris Derrick was when you looked at them through college. In fact, Chris was a better runner in college. So what's going on and why are they not able to translate? Of course, we are talking, you know, that's not apples to apples. Everybody's different. These are real people. They're, you can't just say that their system is going to make them into a champion. But to this point, in my opinion, Chris Derrick has been a bit of a, of a, disappointment. a disappointment. And I'm looking forward to, and I hope that this is a race where he can come out. Because this is the kind of race that he might be able to because you don't have to be a 204, 205 marathoner or be in 204 or 205 shape to make an impact. You don't, but one thing about Chris Derrick that is my observation is that I think he would do better in a race. Running through a pack that's... that's with, in a pack with pacers at consistent yeah. pace. I don't see him as a guy who can... can you know, he seems more like a rhythm runner, so to speak, where I don't think he's a guy who can kind of go with just the dynamic nature of a New York race and, and be able to then have all the pieces to put together at the end. So I don't think it plays. This one sets up well for him. I would love to see him have a breakthrough, though, because we need that from him. He's got the talent. I mean, this is a guy who is talented enough to run a 208. No, no doubt. Right. In fact, I think he's. Other than other than other than Rupp, and and not counting our various Kenyan new new <laughs> Kenyan right. converts to our country, right. um, he's definitely got the skill set that you would have expected. Watching him in college, I would have said to you, I could have said to you, wait till that motherfucker starts running the marathon because he could be re- he's going to be really really good, yeah. and that hasn't played out yet. So, so we will see, but we'll be cheering and we hope you're cheering for all of those Americans and hopefully they're with the lead pack for at least long enough so we can get a real updates on them. All right, let's switch over to the women's side and, you know, we both got to be in the women's, at least the U S women's elite press conferences. So we've got lots to talk about. And then Shalane had her own at the very end of the day, which was awesome to see, get her do by herself on the big stage. So we'll talk about what we learned from Chelaine's press conference as well. First of all, just to give a quick overview of the international field, there's really two ladies to talk about here. I mean, there's three, but two that matter the most in our opinion, which is Mary Katani, the women's only world record holder and three-time New York champion. Versus Vivian Chiriot, who won won London earlier this year, dispatching a stacked field there, including Mary Katani, and who's won, oh, four Olympic medals, four World Championship medals on the track. Yeah, she's about to upset. I mean, if she if she wins this one, we're now moving her past the Dababa as goat. Right, I mean, you got to start thinking about Vivian now as goat if she wins this race. I yeah. mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, goat of all time. Like, yeah, to, she's just one key race. I mean, she's the only the only major world or Olympic medal she hasn't won was to 
Almaz Ayana at the Olympic Games in 2016 in Rio when Ayana broke the world record. Vivian Chariot got second, running a 29.32 <laughs> for a 10K yeah. at the Olympic Games in Rio. So Yeah, to break the world record. Break the world record uh, also. Also, yeah. Right, which was a doped, completely <laughs> and utterly doped world record. Yeah. So, And so she's legit, and she's a winner. That we know. She's relatively new to the marathon as London 2017 was her debut where she placed fourth then she went on to win Frankfurt later in the year in October and then came back around to London and got the win this year in April beating Mary Katani when we were watching Shalane talk about these two athletes it was clear that she had the most, both the most respect for Chariot. No, I'm, now I'm not suggesting in any way that she wasn't giving Katani respect. Right. But when she talked about Chariot, it was a different vibe. She's no like, doubt. This is she was fangirling. She was she fangirling. was fangirling. <laughs> Chariot <laughs> and saying basically, look, this this is the woman to beat. Yes. And even though Katani's won New York three times, has the world record, Chariot is as a new marathoner. Somebody who could be like a Kipchoge, potentially on the women's side. So, Shalane was giving her her due. Now, we have to mention, of course, Mamutu Daska, who finished third in the world champs, who briefly was leading the Boston Marathon before Desi came up and took the lead, and who, you know, finished third last year in New York. So, it's worth mentioning as somebody who could be on the podium, but is nowhere near Katani and Chiriot in terms of ability to win this race. So we've got really two Kenyan international athletes that have a shot to win and who I think anybody would say are your two favorites. It would be interesting, though, Chris, just for devil's advocate. I mean, what if Daska wins Boston and Desi doesn't? Does it change our view of her? Probably not because that race, no matter what, is going to have an asterisk beside it forever and ever because of the weather that day. But I do wonder if we would have then had to have given her more of a benefit of the doubt. Not that I'm not. I mean, I do think that this... She obviously went to that race with the idea of winning it and winning it outright. So she's not coming in here against Vivian, against Chariot and and Katani and saying, oh, I don't think I can. I think she'll think she can. But I just don't think she's... She's not there, Chris. Well, no. And look, Katani's run to 17.01. Yeah. Chariot's run 218 this year. So, and by the way, Chariot beat Bridget Koski in a half marathon, the Great North Run, and Koski ran 218 at Chicago. So, (laughs) you know, basically, she's not in the same PR realm as those other two athletes. But New York is not the PR race. It's not. But but you're not talking necessarily fitness athletes. I'm just talking about ability to close this thing out. Now... I think what's, and by the way, we've got it. This is in the media, guys. We've got to mention it. Chariot's nickname apparently <laughs> is is Pocket Rocket. I did not know I, that. I did not know that. We but knew we had, we know now we've got the Baba as the baby face killer. Yeah, I did not know Chariot that Chariot was the Pocket Rocket. Is the pocket that's good rocket. to know. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. We did not get a, a nickname. For yeah, Katani. so when you hear us throw down, don't think we're being, when we, when, on Sunday when we say, there goes the pocket rocket. Don't 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 think we're being disrespectful. That's yeah. her nickname. Yes. <laughs> so 
So of those two, are we in agreement that Churiat is 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 Shalane as defending champion's biggest threat? I, I think that there's no doubt. I mean, I think she's the favorite. I think Chariot's the favorite. I think it's very hard to say that. Um, the I guess it's not that hard to say that. I mean, she beat Katani earlier this year. But the thing that makes it hard to say it is that Katani has only been beaten by one woman at New York City in the last four years, and Shalane. it was by Shalane Flanagan. Right. And the reason she got beat by Shalane Flanagan, let's just be honest, she started her period three days before, and she hadn't had her period for three months. Right. So not and and though that's. You know that that and I don't. You know, doesn't take anything away from Shalane. It does not take it because you've got to be there. You got to yeah. take it. You got to take it, and you got to take it. But you know, it's really hard. That's how high of an esteem that I hold Vivian Chariot in, and that I would say that it's likely that Katani would have been a four-time New York City champion, and I would probably still pick, even if Katani won last year, I would probably still pick Chariot over Katani in this race. Now, on the American side. And we were debating this a little bit in our walk back. We got to hear from all of the top American elites, including Desi, Molly, Shalane. And I believe we were in agreement that it's clear that if there was going to be an athlete that would beat either of those two, there's only one of of those top names I just mentioned that has the potential to do it, and that's Shalane. Not just because she's defending champion and has the pedigree that she has, but because of what we saw in that press conference in terms of her demeanor. I mean, that I've never seen a looser Shalane in terms of not in a sense that this doesn't matter. Clearly, she had her game face on and she's taking this as seriously as she's ever taken a race. She's a consummate professional. But, but damn, if she isn't relaxed and loose and ready to roll with the punches with no pressure on her feeling like all she's got to do is show up and do her best and potentially take some risks that she might not take i mean i mean both of us walked away like that if i was a katani or a churia watching shalane be like damn that's the one to worry about you know it's interesting chris before this you and i had talked i can't remember if it was i don't even think we were here yet i think we talked about it at some other point and you were far. You were like, oh, I don't know about Shalane. I think she's going to mail it in. I'm not so sure that this is going <laughs> to happen. And I'm like, well, Shalane's probably showing up. You know, you she could be just showing up for the paycheck, but she helped all her teammates. She seemed to sort of rally. I was I wasn't really defending Shalane in any real strong way, but I was just like, who knows? But you were you were adamant about. You were pretty sure, like, uh, I don't think we should even really be thinking about her. But you and I both, we, we looked over each other when we got done with that, that, and we were like, game on. This woman, this woman is in seek and destroy mode, and she doesn't, she doesn't give a fuck. She's ready to go head to head. She said it, Chris. I've never beaten Vivian Chariot. And she didn't say it like, oh, mom, I've never I'm beaten scared. Vivian yeah. Chariot. She's like, you want to know what my motivation is? I have never beaten Vivian Chariot. I, I want to prove myself. What if this is a girl? This is not a woman at this point, right? This is a little girl who's standing in a field with a line drawn in the sand. There's a start line, and then somebody points out that there's a finish line, and she's got somebody in front of her. It's probably a boy who says, I can beat you from this line to this line, and she's like, you're not going to beat me. That was the way it sounded to me, Chris. Yeah. Like, this is just <laughs> this is just a foot race, and this is me getting a chance to, to stamp my name. The one chance, last chance I have in my life to go down. I mean, she has this window, Chris, of being known and it, of, of 
game-changing, being the greatest American distance runner of all time, right? If that ha- if she wins this race, Chris, it's over. There's nobody else that you can put in the category because of the level of competition that this race by itself will have been, Chris. I mean, you right. still you still have Joan Benoit Samuelson's, Samuelson's Olympic gold medal, which is the greatest event, the greatest single performance any woman has ever made in the United States ever, in my opinion. But hey, if Shalane wins this, it's something altogether different, and I think she can feel that. Like she knows she's got a shot, and Chris, she's bullish on her fitness. She is. She's done some unusual things this year in training. She went to altitude a little bit longer and later than normal. Did stay there. Did not come back to sea level. Has never done that before. Jerry said that he. She said Jerry was very very happy with what he saw. <laughs> she was, which is, which we know is definitely. Um, Jerry's happy. It's a good thing. That's right? a good thing. That's I think she, she said, said it almost exactly that way. And Chris, here's another thing. Think about this. She paced her teammate to an American record in the 5,000 on the track not six months ago. She, you know, she held up for 3,200 meters at American record 5K pace. She's worked a couple of her other she's, – she's brushed off on some other things. And we don't know what kind of schling we're getting from a fitness perspective because she's being a little coy and a little bit – she said she's had some good sessions, some two long-run sessions that she did in Provo that she's really excited and happy about. But she was a little cagey about what that actually meant. And, um, Chris, I don't know. I mean, I, there's a part of me that if these two women in, in Chariot and, and Katani were not at the level that we think that they are, it would be very tempting to pick her to win again. I mean, yeah. when, when we, we said who, which American could make the podium, like, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show Shalane. my hand here right now. Shalane's going to fucking make the podium. In my opinion, she's going to make the podium. I'm going to pick it right now. <laughs> I think, as you said, Chris, is there, an, is there a scenario in which she gets to win? Is there any scenario that we that you can conceive of in which you see Shalane Flanagan winning another New York City marathon? Yeah, absolutely. I think she's the only American that has a chance to win tomorrow based on what I saw. Now, I want to talk about scenarios in a second, about what would have to play out for her to win. But I'll say this. I think... The race will be made by Shalane on Sunday in some form or fashion. Now, it might be somebody else's move, but Shalane covering that move. or Shalane, I think Shalane is going to be the person to watch in the field. Not necessarily to be proactive, but to see how she covers moves. Because if Katani, Katani or Chiriot makes a move or goes off, I tell you what, Shalane will be there. Shalane's not letting anybody go. And it might be her following somebody that then puts doubt in their mind or makes them feel like they're having to work a little bit harder with somebody latching onto them that might ultimately ruin their race and either give Shalane a chance or somebody else a chance. So she's to, the game changer. To me, she's the game changer, the central figure to watch, and that's really cool. Now, as it relates to her motivation, I heard everything I need to hear. First of all, she said, I, I didn't just come here to defend my to quote unquote kiss babies and defend my title. She didn't make the decision, she said, until this summer that she was going to come back to New York. Part of that was because she had a bad taste in her mouth from Boston, but she didn't want to show up in New York unless she was ready to put in the work to be ready to compete in New York. But Chris, she also said one of the reasons why she came was because Katani and Chariot and Des Linden and all these other people, Molly Molly Huddle had said they wanted to show up. So she wants to cement her reputation in the U.S. ranks, she wants to cement her reputation, opportunity, take an opportunity to take a shot at the, with the best in the world and to move beyond this, I, I won a marathon major, 
but did I really do it? Just like Desi, like we didn't hear good news from Desi. We didn't hear <laughs> very strong, positive juju from Desi in the, at our press conference this, this afternoon. But Shalane's on another. I just think you're. I I agree with you 100. Yeah. percent She's so at a she's, different place. She's not just here to show up. She's she's here to compete and, and a, yeah, against Vivian and Mary. That's who she wants to compete with. She also said. And I got to ask a question and said, hey, Shalane, you've mentioned that you're willing to take risk now because you won New York. What does that mean for your tactics? And she said two things there. One, I can be loose and let it flow. And two, I'm going to be willing to take risk and cover moves that I wouldn't have otherwise taken, which tells me nobody's shaking this girl until Watch out. her legs are falling off. So she's going to be taking risk. And then the other thing I read into her conversation was this is going to be your last marathon. Yeah, I think like, I agree. This is it. Like she's gonna retire, and she might compete in races where she's pacing her teammates, or but she's gonna retire. This, I think this will be it, and that brings with it a special motivation to leave everything that she's worked up to this point in her career, leave it all on the course, show everybody that she's deserving of being the champion, even if that doesn't mean winning. And so she's got nothing, literally nothing to lose, which means. Katani and Cherry, I better be looking over their shoulder wondering where the hell's Chilane because I think she's got a shot. Now, what what does that mean? So what is what has to play out in your opinion to give Chilane the opportunity? Because look, the weather is gonna be perfect. We haven't talked about it to this point, but right now it's gonna be based on the forecast, mid to upper forties at the start, warming into the low fifties, no wind, sunny, partly cloudy, nice like pretty much picture perfect marathon weather for these elite athletes. So you're not going to have those factors playing into it. So it's just going to be mano a mano. So what do you think? What, how does the race have to play out for Shalane to win? So this one's tough because we, the, the knowns, right? The one known is Vivian Chiria is not going to do work until she has to do work. Exactly. So she's the fastest, strongest, fastest, and most mentally tough athlete on in that race. She believes she's going to win, and pretty much everybody around her believes she's going to win. Even Shalane believes she's going to win. Bel- Shalane believes she has a chance to beat her, but Shalane doesn't. She would If Shalane had to put her money on it, she'd give herself a 10% chance out of 100 probably. But she knows she has that 10% chance, which makes her dangerous. So Vivian's going to do no work. Shalane's not going to do any work unless Shalane feels really really good and she sees chinks in the armor around her because she also is really confident in the way that she can close and how she can close races out the thing that we also know is mary katani has a very hard time running anything but a hard from the front kind of race um she has explicitly stated she does not want to run hard early in this race because she's made mistakes in the past that just sounds to me like she's just repeating the mantra that's only going to throw get her into more trouble how many times have i told an athlete let's not do that and then they repeated me i don't want to do that and then i'm like oh shit here we go they're gonna ready to go do that so i do worry we do think that that's the place i think here's the thing the race has to play out this way Mary goes at 10 miles or so, which is the way I think the race is going to happen. I think they're going to sit around and play around, and then Mary's going to go at 10 miles. Unless somebody like Adaska or someone else who's got a little bit of talent who might want to try to make a break and try to get away, they're not going to get away from this field. It's just not going to happen. And so I think everybody sort of sits there with Katani until they can't. And I agree. I think it's going to separate. Three athletes are going to be in that lead pack. I think Daska probably goes with them, but she comes off the back. 
here we go. What happens now? What has to happen at thirty at thirty k? So at let's say between eighteen miles and twenty miles, as these three these three women do they are they running together, kind of in uniform form, or are they throwing haymakers at each other? These women women don't usually throw haymakers at each other the way guys do. They usually get away and then they hold strong to see what happens, and they do it late. So here's the thing: the way that Shalane wins is Vivian Chariot has an off day, and she can't. And Mary makes a move that Shalane covers, but Vivian doesn't. That Chariot doesn't get to cover because she catches her at a weird moment or something else happens. If it's Shalane and Mary with two to three miles to go, I think Shalane has a chance to win it. But I don't think she has a chance to win it if it's all three together, and I don't think she has a chance to win it if it's her and Chariot together. I think it's going to have to take... Chariot having an off day or something else happening. Mary getting away and Shalane making that coverage move. That's the way it has to happen. Now, there's another scenario where Mary goes out way too fast and all the pieces come apart. But again, now you're going to have Shalane and Chariot stride for stride. And in that race, Chariot's going to win 99.9 out of 100 times. So that's what I say. I see that what's going to have to happen is late in the race, Mary's going to have to have shaken chariot and then Shalane goes with that same move and then she can make a play over those last two to three miles to try to get away from her what do you think oh it's it's interesting you know as I reflect on it you know I think the worst possible scenario for Shalane would be Katani going from the beginning because I think in that scenario, Shalane... You mean from mile one, two, from three? From mile one, two, three. Right. Because I think Shalane's going to go with whatever move whenever it happens. And if it happens in the early, I think that's trouble for Shalane. And so as I'm reflecting on it, you know, I think the later, the later it is that the move comes, I think the better it is for Shalane. Now, if she ends up head-to-head with Chiriad at the end then I agree with you that's going to be difficult, but then it's just going to come down to if if it so happens that Katani falls off and it's Shalane versus Chariot and somehow Shalane, you know, I, I, I think she could beat her head-to-head at the end, you know, if the pace was quote-unquote slower and they were all together still at mile 21 or 22. I, I think Shalane could beat either of them going to take her having a perfect day mm, i i i but here's I, think, the thing. I think she's got a shot we didn't in, have in, in any scenario except for katani going early we didn't we didn't get to see chariot at the at the at press London. conference and get the feel right and get the enough. feel of what her energy was we know shalane's coming president correct and again i i just i just think it's going to take a real it's going to have to take an un- unusual scenario but hey a year ago, Chris, before this time, a year ago, would we have said that Shalane had a chance to beat these two women in a marathon? No, we would we would have been dismissive of her ability. Now, yeah. but we're we're seeing a different Shalane, and we're seeing a Shalane who is, um, if not physically, because I think she is still physically pretty close to her best. She's certainly mentally at her best. She is loose and laid back. This is exactly the kind of attitude and approach you want to see out of an athlete. Someone who is just, who's just, she's. She's in the flow, man. She's in the flow. So before we give our predictions, because I think our our listeners would be mad if we didn't at least talk about Des and Molly before we gave predictions, 
were a little bit dismissive of them and their ability to win this race and even their ability to get on a podium. Let's take them in turn. Why Why are we that way with Des? Well, I was really encouraged by Des's interviews that she did and, and the articles I read on her coming in. And the, and the homework I did on Des, um, I just felt like she's made the right decision in getting a change after Boston, moving to a different coach, um, settling in in her home, feeling like, you know, one of the things that she said was that she always felt like, you know, she was doing special things and she really wasn't a member of a team, even though she was on a team and it felt really weird for her. I think now she feels like she's on her team and 100% on her team. And just the way that she talked about the way her training had changed up a little bit and that she was able to do kind of some kind of work that she'd never done before. And and it's very obvious that Desi's planning on continuing to run for a number through the Olympic trials and hopefully make an Olympic team again for sure. There's, there's no doubt about that. And so I think that, you know, initially I was really bullish on Desi, not to make it a podium, but just, just to have a great race here. But her energy was not entirely positive as we read it. And, you know, you and I, Chris, we, 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 we read a lot into the energy that people give at <laughs> she was a little bit uptight. Yeah, in my opinion, which she had is a lot unusual. of pressure. A lot of yeah. pressure from she her race. She seemed to be carrying the Boston pressure, whereas Shalane was not carrying any pressure. Right, and you know there are a lot more scenarios that have to play out exactly perfectly for Desi to be in a position to do that. So here we are talking about the Americans and who can get on a podium, and it just it's going to take a, a catastrophic situation. I mean, Des even said, "Hey." It's going to be optimal weather. That's not a good thing for me. You know, I, it, right. I need all the challenges that could possibly be played out in order to make an impact. So, um, you know, there's a reason why Des doesn't run Chicago. There's a reason why Desi doesn't run uh, Tokyo. She, there's a reason why she doesn't run Berlin. She doesn't run those races because they're, don't, they're not optimal for her to be competitive in because it, she, needs, she needs some kind of challenge beyond just the race distance to make it difficult. And so... Um, while she has that in spades here in New York, she she does not feel as confident about it, it seems. Yeah, I mean, my read was she's a little uptight. Now, she did, I did get to ask her about her tactics and if she would be perhaps willing to take some more risks with some of the surges versus in, in her past, her, her MO has been to sort of keep a consistent, even pace, whether the pack follows that or not. She did seem to indicate some willingness to do that, although with some limiters in her mind about what she'd be willing to cover. But I didn't get any definitive energy from her that she was going to make a dramatic change. We also know she's with a new coach. We think that's a good decision for her long term. But we also know that it takes more than one training cycle to get the benefits of the work that she's doing on the speed and economy side. So... You know, I think both of us are bullish about her for 2020, but not sure if we're going to see a real difference in Desi this time. And we also know she's been really, really busy traveling all over the world. She was in Austin recently for Formula One. She's been squeezing in her, her training amidst a lot of sponsorship obligations post-Boston. So how has that affected her run up to this race? Love Desi. And believe in her certainly beyond this race. But given this field, I think you and I are both doubtful of her ability to have impact on the podium. But we also downplayed her ability in Boston. And, you know, at least until 
we were in the cab over there. Uh, at least on our preview show, officially, we didn't give Des a chance there. Of course, we didn't quite realize how crazy the weather was going to be. How bad it was going to be. Either. Yep. But, but you never know. You, I guess you shouldn't count Desi completely out, but you and I don't believe she's in that podium conversation at the moment. Molly Huddle, you know, amongst at least the Let's Run.com readership, you know, I think they would put her with Shalane as somebody who could win this race. You and I are not bullish on that in the least. Not because we don't love Molly as an athlete. We love her as an athlete. And, you know, we know if, if, if anybody was stepping on the track with her right now, that we would probably pick Molly to win. But the demeanor that we've gotten from her relative to her confidence in the marathon is underwhelming. You know, I asked her a question about, you know, very directly. I said, hey, you know, you step on a track and it's obvious you're confident. It's obvious that you're there knowing you can win. I haven't seen that same confidence from you in the marathon. How are you working on building that? And honestly, I didn't get a great answer. I got a lot of hopefullys and we'll see and, you know, it's coming. Maybe it's coming. You know, she just doesn't seem to have that same confidence in the marathon yet. And we know it's maybe only recently that she's really began to even think about it or focus on it, although she even, you know, hedged a little bit in our interview and she said, hey, I'm thinking about running the 10K in Worlds next year. So that's the reason we're doubting her, right? Is because it's clear that A, she hasn't fully committed to being the best marathoner she can be. And B, she lacks the confidence, which is weird coming from Molly Huddle, who's won 25 plus U.S. titles. I think it just comes down to the fact that she's not a marathoner yet. She's not all in, Chris. And it take you have to be all the way the fuck in in the <laughs> marathon in order to win a marathon or to be a, on a podium at a world marathon major. You can it's not this or that. It it's just not. And um, the level of competition within the United States, she's if she has that attitude at the Olympic trials, Chris, she's in trouble. There are there yeah. are a oh, yeah. number of women who we interviewed this weekend. Who we, I mean, Ali Keeper, you at an Olympic trials. The way that she's running right now, Stephanie Bruce. Uh, Stephanie Bruce. The way that she's running right now, Kellen Taylor. Kellen Taylor. I mean, Sarah Hall. I don't know exactly. Like <laughs> I mean, you better. The list you goes better. On. I am sorry. Like Molly, you are moving further and further and further down the list of of potentially great American marathoners for me. And and to this weekend. I mean, hopefully, Chris, we're wrong because she is one who, if it. she chose to be great, she's one who we know can win a marathon major. We don't believe Sarah Hall can win a marathon major. We don't believe that Stephanie Bruce, at least at this point in time, can win a marathon major. We don't believe that Ali Kiefer can win a marathon major. What we think they can do is continue to show the resurgence that American distance running is doing and marathon marathoning is doing. But Molly Huddle has that ability to win. She's just not willing, Chris. She is not committed. I think she's scared. I think she's scared of the marathon, man. 100%. And, you know, you and I have been talking about this and sort of we felt this, but we have never been at one of these press conferences. We saw her last night at at a social event. And, you know, she's shy and demure, and you know that she's not incredibly comfortable in front of other people. Um... And but there's no ferocity there, none. And and it was even worse today at the press conference. I sat there, listened to her, um, go through all the questions. Then you listened to her after I had left. I, I I just I just got I just got no vibe of winner, like no winner vibe. And that is very shocking from Molly. Molly also, I don't think you heard this, Chris. I, when a question was asked of her 
how she felt after getting beat at the U.S. 10-mile championships by Sarah Hall. And they asked her if that was shook her confidence. And she said, absolutely, Uh which is not a good thing to say either. It should have been. No, I was in the middle of marathon training. I'm not sure where Sarah, I don't know where Sarah is. Yeah. And she did mention that she just stepped out from altitude, but she had expected not to have that kind of problem stepping back from altitude when she hasn't hadn't had it before. So she doesn't even have in her own head the right kinds of answers to give in those kinds of circumstances. So I'm really more red flags. Yeah. It's just, it's just a little bit scary about how we, how will we look at her? And again, Chris, we could change our tune in a couple of days if she commits 100% to the marathon. But yeah, she was more concerned with when she was going to squeeze in a world championship 10K qualifier <laughs> than she was necessarily about what her spring marathon was. Shalane doesn't even know what the hell's going to happen after, after Sunday. Right. Like She has no idea what's happening after Sunday. <laughs> she knows only one thing. She's going to give everything she has to win on Sunday. Uh, it's just over. There's no question in my mind who the top American is going to be in this race. The <laughs> only thing that Molly said that, you know, gave me like a glimmer, a flash of like hope, was she talked about, you know, she got third in New York two years ago, which is legit. She got, she said she got passed by Sally Kipiego, who got second that day on the Queensboro Bridge, and Sally got about a 10 second gap at that point in the race at mile 16 or so. And that gap basically stayed the same the rest of the race. And Molly made the comment, well, that I, that I learned that I can't let people gap me. And so maybe, maybe that is a lesson that she'll carry this one that will allow her to stay in it long enough to use the talent that she has. But, you know, we've just, there's so, too many chinks in this armor which is too bad because she has such great potential there. We will see, though. I hope we're wrong. But you and I walked away thinking that there were, you know, besides Desi and Shalane, at least two other women that could beat Molly yes. on Sunday. And yes. those two would be Stephanie Bruce and, and Ali Kiefer. Yes. Who, and I, we both got to spend time, you know, in small group talking to them. Really, really impressive women that if you're listening to this, you've got to be fans of them. You know, yeah, I, if you're not I, now, start. I mean, I was a fan of Stephanie walking in, but I'd never interacted with her, you know, in that way. And, we, you know, I got to ask her a bunch of questions about her training. And she was the most impressive to me of everybody that I interacted with. Just, you know, and, and I don't want to define that, but just, just – impressive just somebody that you can root for who's been doing this for a long 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 time you know who's had her ups and downs in the sport including through you know having two kids probably shouldn't even still be in it that's correct and yet she's in a place now with an az elite and ben rosaro training with kellen taylor and alfine tillymuck she won her first national title this year at Peachtree. she shouldn't be in it but she's in it and she believes she's fitter than she's ever been she knows that she can get at top five in this race if everything goes perfectly for her. She believes, her team believes, her husband who was sitting there believes. And I walked away believing in her. You know, as somebody who, if, you know, if she's not in the top three Americans or top two Americans at this one, she's got a chance. I, don't, I, I didn't get the chance to talk to her. Um, I, I've, I know Stephanie from 
her being very good friends with an athlete I coached, uh, Kara June, a number of years ago. And, you know, I know Steph to be an amazing human being. But she's running at a completely different level now, Chris. Completely. And, and it seems and feels like... Here's the thing. I, I got to spend a lot of time with Allie. And was I already was a fan, but I became even more of a fan of hers. But Allie's a little bit further away from where she needs to be to get. It, Steph is much closer to world elite marathoning status than Allie is. I do believe Allie has a chance to be where Stephanie is or a, or at least in the same spot and was will be someone we are definitely talking about at the Olympic trials in terms of making an Olympic team. Um, but today, tomorrow, on I mean on Sunday, when they line up on the starting line, Steph's pedigree is just too much to overcome. And Chris, her... Being in the line of fire and standing and delivering in big races when it mattered, when she didn't even know it was going to matter, and her competitiveness in those races has is something that Allie has not had to deal with yet. Allie has been tra- doing things in less than um, in less than head-to-head competition kind of scenarios, and so I think Steph is definitely going to be in a better spot. But there's something special about Allie, though, Chris. That is a lot of untapped talent. I got to talk to her coach Brad Hudson for a while. He is. Um, he's been coaching a lot of athletes for a very long time. He's seen a lot of the best athletes in the world. Um, and he is extremely bullish on what he thinks this girl can accomplish, not just because of where she's at physiologically, but because the mind that she brings to this game, he is incredibly, um, inspired by as a coach, which we know is, is means that there's some magic in that athlete. So, um, Again, Chris, two athletes that we're super excited about. We hope our listeners, if they don't already know them, that they do know them and they get to know them. We will be talking about them a lot more. Chris, we hope to have both of them on this podcast yeah, at some point in time to get them to talk to you all and let get you get to hear about them as people beyond just athletes. And here's the thing, Chris. When we talk about Shalane and we talk about Vivian Chariot and we talk about Mary Catani, we're talking about in a lot of ways, machines. Not not to diminish the kind of humanity that we know Shalane Flanagan has, but to be at the level that she is and the way that she's been operating for so long, there is a sort of professional demeanor, a professionalism kind of demeanor that's a sheen and that that it feels like you know this, Chris. I was a, not a Shalane Flan until fan until about a year and a half, two years ago. After her her Boston failure when she didn't perform well and I realized, wow, this is a real human being. It's not an automaton. It's like a real human being. But those women, they're they're just they're like they just don't seem real in some kind of way. But when you spend time with Steph Bruce and you spend time with Allie Kiefer, you could be spending time with your best friend, with a girl down the street, with any old person, but they're also operating at the highest levels of their sport and they're not done yet, Chris. They're not even they're not even close to being done yet. And these are two women we could be talking about that are going to make an Olympic team. And Chris, this will be the hardest women's marathon Olympic team to make by far. I mean, everybody should be praying that Shane Flanagan <laughs> is done. Right. They hope that she retires yep. because that leaves one spot that might be there. But Chris, I mean, that was to me uh, that, that that we already knew this. There are stories to tell in our sport that need to be told, um, and these are two stories that 
need to be told. And yeah. um, we're really, we were, it was really great. We, we kind of had inklings, both of us had inklings of this about, you were already a bit of a Steph Bruce fan. I was already an Ali Kiefer fan, but we both came away like, oh, wow. Like these are real people and they're also operating at the highest level of sport. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and Ali, as a reminder, finished fifth last year as the top American in New York to surprise everybody, including herself, <laughs> that she admitted today as I was talking to her. The only thing you need to know beyond that about Ali Kiefer is that she's got tickets on Wednesday to fly to Thailand. She's to going go to, to Phuket. To go to Phuket <laughs> with no itinerary. With zero itinerary. She has... She has plane tickets, round trip, there and back, but she has nothing else planned. <laughs> no place to stay and nothing else on the agenda. She's just going to go and enjoy it. And she said she's done that before, including just showing up in Kenya and knocking on Betsy Sana's door and saying, hey, can I stay Who with she you? met a year ago can at I, this can race. Can I stay with you for seven yep. weeks? Yeah. So anyway, she's a wanderlust who- We love that. Is a really, was really, really fun to talk to you and- and even though she's 31, she's young in the a sport, little bit really. older. She's young in the sport, and she has great potential and is working with a great coach in Brad Hudson. So we'll see. But those are two names to mention. Of course, we've got Sarah Sellers, who finished second in Boston, who's sort of deer in the headlights. This Poor Sarah. Today, she, you know, <laughs> she suddenly got thrust onto the, the scene with her second in Boston and was at the elite press conferences today. She was... She just seemed like she didn't know what to do with herself there, which was awesome. And, you know, and then we can't forget to mention Carrie Dimoff and Sidney DeVore. Carrie trains with Bowerman. Yep. That group. She's not in the elite group, but she's in their, their Although she's been doing stuff with her marathon their group. tier. Yep. Mm -hmm. And she has a full-time job in shoe development at Nike. And then Sidney DeVore, who recently moved to train with Brooks Hansons, who won the Pittsburgh Marathon in 232. And... You know, recently quit her job to become a full-time marathoner. So there's other good stories even beyond that here on the American women's side that we can't get to all of that today. We'll talk about more of it on on our on our live call. We haven't given our predictions yet, Steve. Let's first go with the podium. What do you think? All right, I'm going Vivian Chariot for the win. I'm going Shalane Flanagan for second place, and I'm going Mary Katani, Mary Katani for for third. I I'm doing that by heart. Mm -hmm. I I would love to call Shalane, but I just don't think there's enough pieces of the puzzle. There's enough in the arsenal. I think Mary's going to freak out a little bit. She's going to have to deal with Vivian. She's going to not think so much about Shalane. She's going to think about Vivian a lot. I think it's going to give Shalane an opportunity to sneak in there. Obviously, Shalane's going for it all. I just don't think if they're together, all together, going into the park, that I think she could possibly beat Mary, and so I want to give her a chance, and I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to see her there. But I, and I would love for her to beat Vivian Chariot. I just don't see it as happening. So that's my picks. I'm going Chariot, Flanagan, Katani. What about you? Oh, it's tough because my feeling about Katani is that either she's going to win or she's not going to be on the podium in this race, but. But it's New York. She's won it three times. She got second last year. I think she's hungry to get back to the the victory circle. I think she's going to press the pace, but not in a crazy way. So I'm going to go with Katani to get back on top. And I'm going to put Chariot in second because I think those are your two favorites. 
and I'll go Shalane for third. So I'll just same podium reordered. Yep. Now, clearly that means we both think Shalane's going to be the top American. But if we had to pick a second American, where would you go with that pick? I'm going to go with Steph Bruce. I just don't think that Allie's quite there yet. I think Allie's all in, and I think she's ready to go, and I think she's somebody we're going to have to be looking at. But I just think Steph Bruce, the... I think she's just hungrier. As as hungry as Allie is, I think she's still too young, not as a person, but young in the sport, at least at this level. It's still new to her. She's spending an entire new... Just this first year that she's been operating in sort of U.S. elite, to say nothing of world elite, and I just think Steph Bruce is more comfortable in that space. But uh, and and Steph doesn't Steph doesn't shit the bed, like she does not shit the bed. So um, I'm gonna go with Steph Bruce as the second American um, in there. I'm All gonna, right, I, I'll pick I'll pick Desi to give nice, her her, nice. her due. Nice, Desi could be fourth or fifth in this one, and. You know, I, while I don't think she can cover the moves as, of those top three, you know, I think she's got the resilience on a course like this to hang tough. And even if she gets separated and gets gapped and has to run by herself to the finish, I think she could do that well and get fourth or fifth. Uh, I like Steph Ruth as third American, probably with Allie for my f- pick for fourth American. But there could be any combination of those things. But that's Four people I would pick before Molly Huddle, at least. That's crazy. Which is nuts. Yeah. And I hope Molly proves us wrong on Sunday. That would make for a good storyline, and I would happily eat that crow. Yes, and I will to too. So there you go. Those are our preview discussions and our picks. As a reminder, of course, turn on ESPN2 at 9 a.m. Eastern. and Hey, Chris, let's, let's, let's stop real quick and give a shout-out to our buddy, Soon to be buddy John Anderson. Oh, you know that's a great point. As I just mentioned, ESPN two, we did, <laughs> we got to meet John Anderson. He was the ESPN commentator. Doesn't do running. Yes, <laughs> but was the the commentator, the ESPN commentator, who basically led the the call last year. He was at the press conferences. We were sitting next to him in a lot of cases, asking questions. And he was very unassuming. I didn't even recognize him at first. I had to look at his name tag because he wasn't, you know, all dressed up for TV with makeup on and whatever. And I got to give him a shout out because the guy was doing work. He was doing homework. (laughs) Doing work for our sport. He didn't always know what questions to ask, but he was he was working hard. He was sitting next to us. He stayed all the way till the end, unlike some of the the higher fluting uh, journalists who would kind of bug out pretty quickly stayed all the way till the end, you know, with Ali, he was with us at the, it was me, you and Ali Kiefer. And yep. that was basically the end <laughs> of the press conference. <laughs> and we John were, was there with us. We were the last yep. ones left and he was there with us getting, <laughs> getting Intel for the call. And, you know, I had mentioned this after New York last year that I thought he did a good job, but it was just great to see him in person doing this real legitimate homework to try to give his best on Sunday for this race. I mean, it was just cool to see. And he's the future of our sport because if we get a guy like that, I mean, all these athletes, we can talk about them all day, but until somebody at ESPN pays attention, we can't get there. We cannot get our sport on the stage. It needs to be, but just by having John Anderson in that room talking guys tweet at him, tell him how much you love him. Tell him how much you appreciate it. 
recognize this guy really cares about our sport. In fact, I think he carries about cares about it more than than Larry Rosen does. He cares about it more than Craig Maspect does. He cares about it more than any of these other people who are actually been in this sport forever. We have a real chance to have a voice on the most important sounding board of all of sport in this world in ESPN. Guys, let's do everything we can do. Guys and girls, let's do everything we can do to try to continue to let John Anderson know that we're paying attention to what he's doing. And guys, he's doing good work. And it was great to see him. We missed our chance. Chris and I were both kicking ourselves in the at, our ass for not introducing ourselves to meet him. Um, we talked even about would it, what would it look like to even get a guy like that on a podcast? <laughs> would he even be willing to be on our podcast? It would be so cool. But anyway, it... It, well, and he just, he clearly, you know, some of those other guys you mentioned, they've been in it for too long. They're too old in the sport and they see it with a very restricted lens. They don't know how to tell the story to connect to the broader audience. He knows how to tell the story. Yes. And it was obvious by the questions he was asking. And it was cool. I mean, I was asking questions of Stephanie Ruth because he was also with me there. And he was furiously writing notes because you could tell he didn't know all the right questions to ask. But but when he got an answer through my question that he was interested in, he was writing it down and he, would, and he would follow up with good stuff. So kudos to John Anderson. Shout out. Wasn't that question he asked of Shalane at the very end so interesting? He says, there's two pictures on the wall just to set this up. Shalane did a lot of hard work with a group called um, Run the Future or Future the Run, which is a girls running program in the Bronx that she's been a, an active participant in and very, very much a champion of. And she said literally changed her life, which, you know, Chris, we had our own marathon program for youth that we know is so impactful when you get involved in those kinds of things. And she's definitely a champion of that. So there's one picture of her running with some girls on, at, on a, in a race. And the other was her iconic photo that is everywhere now that even little girls are, are using in Halloween um, with the American flag behind her at the, at, the, at the victory stand for the New York City Marathon. Um, and he, said, he asked her that question, what did it feel like? What does that feel like to be in that position? Which, you know... Shalane didn't really know what to do with the question. It was probably a little bit too um, metaphysical or a little bit too deep, deep. She just sort of glossed over it. I never thought. She, he did say defending champion, and she definitely resonated with the fact nobody's – I've never actually heard that in my entire life, that I'm the defending champion of anything. Mm -hmm. But um, I just thought that he's willing to probe and ask these real-world questions that we want to know about. You know, I'm walking by – as I, I'm walking by uh, ESPN this afternoon um, down in our hotel and some guy's asking a basketball player, what was your childhood like? So he was asking a question like that so that these elites can, so that the everyday average person can connect with an elite. Shalane didn't really know where to go with the question. Not that she's not smart enough to, it just came a little bit out of left field. But to me, it's like we have a chance for this huge mouthpiece to be influential and impactful on our sport and hey we've been fighting this fight chris you and i coming into <laughs> our 100th episode soon yep. and um it's so good to see those others who are doing it and we won't say anything about others who we feel are falling down on the job we'll just see if we can't lift our game to the point where maybe we become more relevant because we see that there's sur surely an opportunity to tell great stories of our sport if there are because we believe there's listeners out there. Yeah. So tune in to ESPN2 at 9 a.m. Tune in to Facebook Live with us at 9 a.m. And if you're in New York, come see us. 
either at the Expo tomorrow or at the Jackrabbit on the West Side on Sunday morning. Thanks, as always, for listening. We are going to call it for the day, so you can always check us out at roguerunning.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at Rogue Running. Until Sunday, talk to you soon.